This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual. Episode number 48, Laura Berg. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting coaches and parents who help our children succeed on and off the field. Each episode, our host, Jim Thompson, Executive Director of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by some of the most influential players and coaches to share their thoughts and experiences with responsible coaching and responsible sports parenting. In this episode, Tina Sire, Chief Impact Officer of Positive Coaching Alliance, steps in for Jim and talks with three-time Olympic gold medalist and current Oregon State University head softball coach, Laura Berg. When one person is successful, everybody else is successful. You know, you win as a team, you lose as a team. And um, whenever, you know, I needed to do something extra, work on something extra, they were always there to help me get better, help me to uh, improve my skills. Laura shares the importance of learning from your mistakes on and off the field. She also provides advice to parents on how to handle a situation when your child is not getting enough playing time. Laura, I want to start off by introducing you to our responsible sports audience. Laura Berg is the most decorated USA softball Olympic athlete in history. She joined the national team in 1994 and has brought home three Olympic gold medals and one silver. She's won seven additional championships at the ISF Women's World Championships and the Pan American Games. Laura played her college softball at Fresno State University, where she was a four-time All-American. She led her team to three Women's College World Series, bringing home a national title in 1998. She finished her college career with a stunning 414 batting average, helping herself to 396 career hits, which ranks second all-time in NCAA history. Laura was named the head coach of the Oregon State Beavers in August 2012. This past season, as an assistant coach at Oregon State, she focused on the slappers and outfielders and helped the team reach the NCAA regionals for the first time since 2007. In addition to her coaching at OSU, Laura has been an assistant coach for Team USA and for her alma mater, Fresno State. In 2012, Laura was inducted into the Olympics Hall of Fame. Laura, thanks for joining the Responsible Sports audience and me today. Hi, thank you very much for having me here. I'm really excited. So I know growing up you had a really unique experience of actually playing softball um, with your twin sister, Randy. And I'm curious if you can sort of kick us off by telling our responsible sports audience a little bit about that experience of growing up playing softball with your sister. Um, I had the best teammate you can ever imagine. Um, I always had Randy to play catch with, to hit ground balls or fly balls to me. I always had um, someone that I could play, kick the can with out front. So I always had somebody who could um, help me get better, um, push me um, to to achieve my goals and my dreams. Um, we played together uh, since the age of six and went to high school together, obviously, and then we both um, were able to go to Fresno State on scholarships together. So she was middle infielder, I was outfielder, and we always had that, that connection, that closeness between each other. So, so was it something that you guys sort of knew it would make sense to have one of you be in the infield and one of you be in the outfield, or did it just sort of naturally come about that way just with the skill sets that you guys had? Yeah, it was just kind of natural that way. Randy is very smooth, um, in, middle infielder, very, um, her instincts in the infield is very natural, where 
it came very natural to me in the outfield. Mm-hmm. I could I could read a ball. My my being able to read the ball off the bat was a little bit better in the outfield than Randy's, and mm-hmm. her her obviously her hands were were better in the infield than mine were. So um, that it was just kind of a natural thing. And were there specific things that you feel like your parents did to support you guys to be able to go on to each play, you know, at the college level and then you, you beyond? Yes, my parents were, were there every weekend. They um, never missed a game. They had always told us that um, if, we didn't, if, we were, if we didn't want to play anymore, then they weren't going to force us to play. So mm-hmm. we played because we loved it, because we wanted to be out there. We were never forced to do it. And mm-hmm. The college decision was our decision. They didn't make that decision for us, even mm-hmm. when we even played with the idea of going to different colleges. Um, mm-hmm. they, my dad would come home from eight hours of work and take us to the ball field and mm-hmm. you know, hit us a million ground balls, a million fly balls. My dad, um, every Friday night, would go to the batting cages and we would meet up with Gary Hanning, who was my head coach for the uh, Orange County Batbusters, Mm-hmm. And we would be at the cages for an hour, uh, and he would just feed the machine until, you know, I was I was done hitting, which was usually a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, my parents are very instrumental on um, mine and Randy's success in in the softball world. When you talk about loving the sport and you know playing it because you loved it, not because your parents were sort of forcing you to play, what was it about softball that you think made you love it so much, or, or continues to make you love it so much? Man, it is. It's an amazing sport. There is no other sport out there that asks you to hit a round bat or hit a round ball with a round bat and hit it squarely. The, the challenge, just how challenging it is to be able to do that and to place the ball where there's nobody at. I remember hearing Dot Richardson talk about um, that the pitchers cheat. You know, they've got eight other people out in the field helping her get you out. To me, that, I think that's just, you know, what's great about our sport is it's, it's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's challenging. And to be able to put that ball where people are not, it's, um, it's an amazing feeling when you do it. It is just absolutely unbelievable. And working together as a team to be able to win a ball game, throwing runners out, you know, sliding the sound of the ball hitting your bat or popping in your glove. It's, you know, the little things, the smell of the grass, the, way they um, drag the dirt and they water the field and it goes from light to dark. It's, you know, it's the, it's the little things about this game that I love so much. I hope that you do visualization with your team because you, uh, clearly your description of the sport sets you up for really powerful uh, visualization. Um, one, of, one of the things you're talking about here is just how hard the sport is. And, you know, softball and, of course, baseball, you know, they're, they're sports where um, there are a lot of sort of quote-unquote mistakes. And the mistakes are really obvious. It's not a flowing sport like soccer um, where if you miss a tackle, it keeps going. I mean, you strike out and the game stops. Um, and Or you walk a batter. Everyone's looking at you. And I'm curious, um, what advice can you give, you know, responsible sports coaches and parents about how to help their players or their kids with that aspect of the sport where mistakes are so obvious and, um, and happen so frequently. Right. Um, players and kids need to understand that this is a game of failure. Yeah. And, you know, if you fail seven out of ten times in your at-bats, you're not a good hitter. You're a great hitter. Yeah. And, and that means you only get on three out of ten times. I mean, mm-hmm. you are a great hitter. 
Yeah. And if you make an error out in the field or you walk somebody as a pitcher or whatever you strike out, whatever that might be, there's always something to learn from it. So if mm-hmm. you learn something from it, yeah. you, you're getting better. Yeah. And so you can take that and carry that on over. You're just going to raise your level of play. And I remember I would get so hard on myself because I was a leadoff hitter mm-hmm. that my job was to get on base. And when I didn't, I would just beat myself up over it. And I remember meeting with um, Ken Revisa. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know what? You go home, you fill up your bathtub with water, and you step in there, and you let me know if you walk on water. <laughs> right. You know, made a big impression on me. He's like, yes, I'm not going to be perfect. Yeah. You know, but my attitude and my effort can be perfect. That's that's a great, great technique. So I feel like um, I was shocked when I was sort of looking at some of your many highlights here that you once posted a 160-game defensive errorless streak um, which I can't even imagine back at Fresno State of going that many games without an error. And um, I'm curious if there's just a little bit more about the mindset, you know, you took every time you ran out onto the field um, that that sort of let you and, and enabled you to have that kind of errorless streak. Well, you know, I had great pitchers with Maureen Brady and Amanda Scott and Lindsey Parker, so not a lot of balls were hit out to me um, in center. So, <laughs> No, I took it. Um, I took it very personal when um, somebody felt that they could get a hit in my outfield. Um, it was my job to catch the ball, and I took it very personal when someone thought that they could, they could score on me when the ball was hit to me, in the outfield. So, you know, I remember. I remember my freshman year. I had made an error, and um, I had promised Maureen Brady that would never happen again. And so I, you know, just put put yourself out on the out on the line and you just go for it and you know if the mistakes happen the mistakes happen again if you learn from it you, you know you're going to make yourself better so it's just it's just it's a matter of pride yep yep that's a very modest answer to um talking about your pitching um so so back at fresno state i think you ended up redshirting a year to play with team usa in the 1996 atlanta olympics and i'm curious if you can talk a little bit about that decision um of sort of redshirting that year and then what was that experience like of um of of playing on that team in the 96 games um i had to redshirt because the team was getting together in april um, Mm -hmm. to start our tour so we had moved we had moved back to Columbus, Georgia to be able to do that and I would have missed half of the season, my college season. So yeah. um Margie Wright, the head coach at, at Fresno State and I decided that it was better to, to redshirt so I didn't lose half a year and mm-hmm. um that experience was was unbelievable. One, to be able to redshirt and, and sit back behind the scenes and kinda of watch my teammates. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot from mm. doing that mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to be able to be with um the olympic team to be with people like lisa fernandez and michelle granger and michelle mm-hmm. smith mm-hmm. Um, dot richardson sheila dowdy i mean the list goes on and on to be able to learn from them and grow as a as a person and as a ball player was unbelievable I, it mm. was phenomenal they are um very very uh, classy ladies mm-hmm. and amazing ball players and that just helped me grow it really did so in the 96 games um being I guess maybe you were actually the youngest member of the team um did you end up not starting or not playing as much or did you were you still a starter and sort of getting as much playing time as you were accustomed to 
Yes, I was a starter. Uh, I played center field. Yeah. Um, actually, Krista Williams was the youngest on the team. She was one of our pitchers, mm-hmm. one of our five pitchers. Um, phenomenal pitcher, by the way. But, uh, yes, I was, I was um, one of the starters, one of the fortunate ones. That's impressive, being so young. And were there certain things that the older players did to really make you feel like you were an important part of the team, even though you weren't sort of maybe as, as old as, as that bunch of women that were out of college at that point? Oh, yes. I mean, they, they always made me feel like I was a part of the team and that I was just as important as any one of them. Um, you know, when when one person is successful, everybody else is successful. You know, you win as a team, you lose as a team. And um, whenever, you know, I needed to do something extra, work on something extra, they were always there to help me get better, help me to uh, improve my skills. And, you know, they always um, – showed me what USA softball was all about, not mm-hmm. just on the field, but off the field. Mm-hmm. Are there lessons that you think like senior or junior or senior captains of like a high school team or even, you know, players who are on a club team that have been on that team a while when they get rookies or, or new players to the team, certain advice you could give them for really making sure those people immediately feel like they're part of the, part of the team? Yes, you can um, obviously friend them. You know, kind of take them under your wing and let them sit in your back pocket and show them what, you know, your high school softball team is all about, you know, mm-hmm. what the traditions are mm-hmm. and how you carry yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, once you do that, then, you know, they're going to be on board to what what it's supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. And so you it brings the team closer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm curious in the, in the gold medal game, I think it was the 2000 Sydney Olympics, um, you ended up driving in the winning run to defeat Japan two to one. And I'm hoping you could just take our responsible sports listeners back to the, the 2000 Olympics and talk about that game. Um, I remember, I can remember it like it happened yesterday. It's, um, I remember it was, it was starting to rain a little bit cause I can mm-hmm. remember, um, the little raindrops dropping off the, the bill of my helmet. Mm-hmm. Jennifer McFalls was um, on second base. There was one out. Fernandez was hitting behind me. And I remember I got a couple of pitches, fouled them off, um, and then there was a timeout called. The Japanese pitcher or head coach wanted to talk to their pitcher, so then I ended up going and talking to my coach. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what was said, but I do remember that that was the most calmest at bat I've ever had. It was it's weird. Mm. I get more nervous now watching it on TV uh. <laughs> than when I was actually hitting it. Um, then I came in and I got an outside, an outside screw ball and I just, I hit it. I squared it up pretty good. Um, I remember running to first base and then I thought when I first hit it, I thought it was going over her head. And then when I got closer to first, I was like, no, she's going to catch up to it. And she, it, she just had, um, she caught up to it. She stumbled, fell. The ball went into her glove and came out. And then mm. Jennifer McFall scored. And it was such a big relief because we had not been playing well, not to yeah. USA softball standards. Yeah. And for us to win, for us to have our backs against the wall the way mm-hmm. that we did and to come back and come out on top mm-hmm. was such an amazing learning experience for, for all of us, even those that that ended up retiring after those games. It was still an amazing learning experience. That's great. That's great. Um, so, so I'm curious if you can give some advice, um, mostly to the parents who, who are listening, 
about how to deal with situations where they feel like their daughter perhaps isn't getting enough playing time or she wants to try a new position, she's not getting to try that new position, and um, what their role is when that sort of thing is happening? Um, if that's, that's a great question because I experienced that growing up. Um, I remember I didn't play, my twin sister and I didn't play when, um, because we were too little. And hmm. I remember, you know, crying in the car to my mom, you know, Mom, you know, I want to quit. I don't want to play anymore. I don't want to play on this team anymore. And she was like, no, you're not quitting. There's a valuable lesson for you to learn from this. And the lesson that I had learned was that I need to outwork everybody. I need to work harder than everybody else so this mm. never happens again. So I would encourage, you know, the parents to keep encouraging your daughter to go out and fight for a starting position or fight for whatever it is that she wants. Because in the real world, nothing is going to be given to you. And the parents know that. Yeah. So you've got to be able to push your, push your daughter to want to fight for it and get better so the coach has no choice but to put her in a starting position, a starting role. Yeah, what a tremendous life lesson, um, you know, you're pointing to there. I really, I really agree with that. That's fantastic. And I can't even imagine if your mom hadn't been there um, to think of the career that wouldn't have happened without her keeping you in the sport. That's really incredible. Um, so, so as coaches, um, we, we encourage responsible sports coaches to talk with their players about the difference between outcome goals and what we call effort goals. So, um, you know, an outcome goal is pretty obvious. It's like wanting a certain batting average. Um, but an effort goal would be, you know, every single time that you put the ball in play, you're running hard through first base. You know, so even if it seems like it's a little easy play, dribbler, you know, you're going to run hard through first base. It's an effort goal. And I'm curious if there are some um, effort goals that you think players and coaches can keep in mind for softball specifically so that they're not just so focused on, on outcome goals but giving their players effort goals, which are, you know, ultimately always within their players' control. Right, right. You know, I love that term, effort goals. I love that because um, that's one of the things that we stress to our players here at Oregon State that there's two things that you can control in this game, attitude and your effort. And um, – I know a lot of these players are very much um, result-oriented instead of being about the process. And so um, we'll tell them, you know, if, if you know, maybe they got out in that in, in bat, but we'll ask them two questions. One, was it the right pitch? And two, did you go for it? And if it's yes to both questions, then it, it was a, a successful at bat. Mm -hmm. Whether you got out or not, it doesn't matter. You had a great at bat. And I know one thing that I talk to my outfielders a lot is, you know, if a pitcher gives up a home run, I want you, I want the effort of you climbing that fence because a pitcher is going to see that effort and appreciate that effort mm -hmm. and not feel as bad, mm -hmm. as badly as she does for giving up a home run. So now she's going to give an, uh, uh, more of an, of an effort and appreciate what you did, and so now she's going to go after that next hitter. That's great. That's great. So, um when you, when you talk about like a good at bat, and I think you said like if you ask the player, was it the right pitch and did you go for it? And they say yes, um, that that's a quality at bat. Do you actually track that, like actually keep that as like a statistic or is that just sort of a conversation you might have um, with one of your players? Actually, we do. We do yeah. during practice. Mm -hmm. um, I know because we hit a lot of live. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm -hmm. We hit a lot of live off of our pitchers. And so – we have what we call a, a Calderon. My assistant coach, Jeff Hirai, and his brother had put this uh, program together where we can track the um, 
the um, at-bat and, you know, the execution. Did they do what they were supposed to do and, and did they go for it and, and stuff like that? Yes. That's great. So they can actually really view it as a quality at-bat even if, you know, if they had a hard line out or something, it, it's going to be a quality at-bat. That's that's great. Um, and I think something that our responsible sports coaches could really learn from. Um, so another thing that we talk about in the program is teaching players to honor the game. Um, and, you know, it's sort of a different spin on sportsmanship, but where we're, we really put a fine point on respecting what we call our acronym is the roots of the game. So we want our players to respect the rules, um, their opponents, the officials, their teammates and themselves. And I'm curious as a coach, um, or maybe even, you know, when you were playing, do you think one of those things out of rules, opponents, officials, teammates, and self is sort of harder and presents more challenges um, when it comes to honoring the game than, than the other parts of roots? Um, gosh, that's a good question. I want to say probably um, maybe the umpires. Just because, you know, the game is so intense and your emotions are so fired up and then yeah. maybe they, um, you know, make a bad call you know, call somebody out when they're safe or call a, mm-hmm. a ball a strike. Um, and so they let their emotions go run over them a little bit. And instead of realizing, look, you know, these guys have no, they don't care who wins. They're mm-hmm. just here to call balls and strikes safe and out, you know. And they, they're human too, you know. They make mistakes too. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, it's, we, we teach them to, to not show emotions, to not, to not even, Deal with the umpires. Let us do that. That's our job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we always talk about bad juju, you know. <laughs> you, you do that with a <laughs> towards an umpire, you're going to have bad juju. So that's one thing that we teach. That's great. That's great. Um, so I'm, I'm curious if you – what you would say to a responsible sports parent if their daughter came home, um, and maybe it was from practice or maybe it's from a game, and she said that her coach got mad at her – because in the outfield, um, the coach felt like she wasn't trying to sort of sell a catch where she felt like she trapped the ball against the grass um, and, you know, that she immediately popped up and threw it to the cutoff um, and, and didn't try to sort of sell it as a catch. And the coach is mad at her. Um, how you would handle that discussion from the parent perspective? I, I would tell my daughter that um, it's the heat of the game that, mm-hmm. you know, Sometimes that happens, that he's not mad at her, that he is, um, you know, just trying to teach her, teach mm-hmm. her part of the game and um, help her get to that next level. Mm-hmm. As, as a coach, um, it, you know, in that sort of situation, how do you coach those sorts of situations if, um, you know, when, with your own outfielders at the college level? You know, I just um, try and teach them the game. Try mm-hmm. and teach them the, the, little, the little things that can make a big difference, the good throws, the good jumps, the good mm-hmm. reads, mm-hmm. Um, backing up each other. And then you take care of the little things, and the big things, good things are going to happen from that. Mm-hmm. Great, great. So I think um, one really interesting thing about you is making the transition from sort of the highest levels of your sport as a player um, to now the collegiate level and then also helping as an assistant coach for Team USA. And I'm hoping you could talk to the audience a little bit about making that transition from player to coach. Um, it was a tr- uh, tough transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first did it, uh, when I was coaching at uh, Fresno State, because I was still playing. Mm. And so to sit back and to let somebody else do it, mm-hmm. it's hard. 
because I want to be in there. My competitiveness wants to be in there right. to do it, you know. And so the great thing about it, though, is you teach them and you work on it with them so many times. And then when you see them successful at it, you see them do it in a game, it just fires you up. It right. so pumped up and you're like, yeah. Yep. And you hope, you know, they get fired up from that, too. Yeah. And But, again, the hardest part is sitting back and having to let them do it. Do you think that the the best players always make the best coaches? Um, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they, uh, you know, they have high expectations on, on themselves. You know, they've always had that themselves growing up. Mm-hmm. That they want to, you know, be perfect. They want to do the, be the best that they can possibly be. So mm-hmm. then they bring that expectation towards the players that they're coaching. And they may not have that same expectations, and so mm-hmm. um, I can see them getting frustrated mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. that. Um, but you know, I have seen some amazing um, players be great coaches. You know, Lisa Fernandez, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, Taraya Flowers, for example, at at uh, Northridge, mm-hmm. or uh, Natasha Watley, for example, at Northridge. So yeah, you know, I've seen some some great athletes be great coaches, and then you see some some great athletes not so great coaches. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you think about, like, if, you know, if you're talking to a youth sports parent who maybe didn't play a sport at the highest level, um, do you think that they can still be a successful youth sports coach, even if they didn't, say, play the sport at the, at the college level? Oh, absolutely. I absolutely believe that, that anybody can coach. Yeah. That, you know, they don't have to be at the Olympic level or the collegiate level. You know, there's always something that they can, um, they can learn from. Mm-hmm. You know, they could have, you know, an expertise in maybe bunting, you know, mm-hmm. or throwing or or the uh, mental aspect of the game. You know, mm-hmm. it can, there's always something that they, they can bring to to a team. So, Laura, I want to ask you um, one last question, which is maybe funny to be asking you in your first year as a collegiate head coach. Um, but I want to ask you to really think down the line about when your college players um, have grown up and they've graduated and they're coming back to you years after playing in your program. And um, if you could sort of put words, words in their mouth when they're reflecting back on their college softball experience, um, what are the sorts of things you'd want them to be saying about the experience they had playing in your program? Um, I would hope that they come back and they would say that they've, they've, they have pride. They've got, they've got confidence in what they do. Mm-hmm. They... Um, have pride in what they do, how they carry themselves, the career that they chose for themselves, mm-hmm. um, that they are a team player, mm-hmm. um, that they are pre- they were prepared for the real world when they left Oregon State. Mm-hmm. And are there certain things you do explicitly to sort of coach beyond softball, you know, to coach those life lessons and say, you know, here we're working on goal setting, you know, for softball, you can also use this, you know, in the classroom or in your future career pursuits where you're explicitly talking about the life lessons. Yeah, it's, it's the little things. It's the um, showing up on time, mm-hmm. you know, for a bus or for practice. Yeah. Um, making eye contact when I'm talking to them so mm-hmm. they have that, that eye contact um, with mm-hmm. their boss or with mm-hmm. their employees. That's great, yeah. Because, um, you know, it's, it's a different world now with the texting and mm-hmm. uh Snapchat that they have now, and so the communication is different. Their communication skills are are not as um, 
fine-tuned as ours was, you know, Mm -hmm. when you had to go and talk to a professor and let them know, hey, I'm going to be out of town because of travel, Mm -hmm. where now they just have to email them, Mm -hmm. you know. So I encourage them to have the one-on-one conversations with with their professors. Yeah. So they're prepared for that. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, just... Um, it's just little little things like that. Well, that's fantastic. I feel, Laura, you really have given us many wonderful um, coaching tips today, and all of our the players and parents and coaches who are listening um, as as part of our responsible sports audience, I think, could really thank you. Um, so, I really I wish you the best of luck, and um, we'll certainly be following you at Oregon State and as your career progresses. Um, thanks for spending so much time with us today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, and I hope those parents know that outfielders rule. To learn more about responsible sports, including downloading valuable tools on a mastery approach to youth sports that includes creating a commitment to learning, visit responsiblesports.com. You'll find helpful responsible sport parenting and responsible coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.